I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, and welcome to Going Off Track. Hello. How's it going, Brad? It's going good. It's nice sitting here in my living room drinking uh, beers with you. It's fun. We should do this more. Yeah. I could bring over some brews. We'd sit out in the balcony. The balcony? I mean, right now it's February. Yeah. I actually, believe it or not, not trying to brag, I also have a balcony. You do? Yeah. In your bachelor pad? Yeah, in my bachelor pad. I have a balcony and a dishwasher. Ooh. Yeah. Um, the balcony is nice. I have a, I have like a Weber charcoal grill. Really? Yeah. And I got it last year. And uh, you're one up on me because I'm not allowed to here. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to either. <laughs> but I <laughs> but you're to, in Brooklyn and anything goes. Yeah. It's it's I I really like the. Everyone's like, oh, isn't it, I got one of those chimney things, starters, right. where you put the newspaper. Everyone's like, isn't it a pain in the ass to heat it up? I'm like, it's kind of fun. Like you put the charcoal in, you yeah, do the, like it's like a nice ritual. Rituals, it's what it's all about. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we're having a very relaxing afternoon here at Brad's. It's been really nice. It's been a nice, it's been a nice day. Yeah. I went to yoga. Me and Brad had a nice lunch. We came here. Very civilized. Yeah. You would think that we were men of leisure. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah. You'd think we were unemployed. <laughs> if you didn't know any better. We're not, uh, you would think we were like, you know, like royalty or trust fund kids. Yeah. We're living the trust fund life in our 30s and 40s. It's fun to present. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, today on the podcast, we have a a friend of mine and someone we've been trying to get on for a while who's very busy um, because he splits his time between New York and LA a lot, I feel like. It's uh, Jared Scharf, and he is the guitar player in the Saturday Night Live band. Saturday Night Live band. (laughs) I'm doing that thing again. Saturday Night Live band. Uh, He also plays music um, under the name Pearl Lion. He uh, does a kind of a video series called Un- Unnecessary Shredding that sees him just ripping solos over songs. He p- did a bunch of stuff at like the Rangers game. Um, and he's on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. But yeah, you can catch him every Saturday. He's When they cut to the band, he's the dude just like making a face like <laughs> someone's burning him and ripping, playing some fucking bending some notes. So it sounds super bluesy and cool. And Jared is a much better guitar player than I will ever be. I feel like he's been in the band for a while, probably like seven, eight years. Um, he's a young guy and a uh, great guitar player. We have a lot of the same friends. And uh, yeah, he's doing a lot of stuff outside of the band. I feel like that's um, just a really s- 
small but important part of what he does. Um, so yeah, with it, let's. Um, if you've ever wondered how you become the guitar player in this Heron Out Live band, this is a podcast that you will be interested in. This is your educational podcast. Yeah, so presented. me and me and Brad did this one. No, you and Steven. Me and Steven. Oh yes, me and Steven did this. Steven skyped into this one. Steven Skype. So enjoy this podcast with Jared Scharf from the Saturday Night Live band and Pearl Lion. Hello, 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 hello. Beautiful. Um, when I was when I when I was a child, I had um. I guess I don't know what grade you do this, but you kind of write down like what do you want to be when you grow up, and on a piece of construction paper. And my parents still have this. I saw it recently. It says I want to be a musician and a hockey player, but I never played hockey. At like I never did it, <laughs> and I didn't watch. And I was like I got out of sports immediately once I like picked up music because I was like yeah I don't really dig the sport thing at all. And I was obviously music was like my master. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, but you know, like two years ago, I just I was like, you know what? I've I did all right with this music thing. Let me uh, start start on the other dream and start playing mu- uh, hockey. And I just started learning how to skate, and it was like the greatest thing I've ever done. It. I look forward to that. Basically, it's like SNL on Saturdays and hockey, and like that's I don't care about anything else. Like that's my favorite part of the week. How often do you get to get on the ice? I do like twice a week. Now. Twice a week. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'm still learning. I haven't played any games yet, but I just and where, to... where 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 are your parents that they felt? Where'd you grow up? Where where'd you write this uh, I... life dream? <laughs> that was in Rockland County, so that was only like an hour, uh, 45 minutes actually away from Manhattan, like upstate. Yeah, I ended up uh, going to NYU. I mean, I've been like New Yorker through and through, like yeah. all the the whole way. And me and Jerry became friends because when Vanessa got hired on SNL, we were talking about guitar or something. And he was like, I'm friends with Tucker. I'm friends with the <laughs> Thursday guys. And I was like, what? Because I assumed everyone in the band was How just... did we get on that subject? Maybe like Rabano was with you or oh, maybe. something. But I felt like we figured that out. And I assumed everyone in the band was just some crazy like Berkeley shredder guy into like dream theater. Or oh, jazz yeah. Or something. But the, the, the hilarious thing is they're all like legendary jazz people or leader you know tower of power right, <laughs> right, right. which is like yeah totally and then i come in just rocker dude who like i did go to music school but i was never trying to be a jazz player and i never was trying to be an educated musician i i had literally had a conversation so i went to the heart school of music first and then i was a music jazz performance major and music uh business major double double major no bigs and then excuse me yeah you know no big <laughs> and then i i was like yo i hate it here i always wanted to go to the city like i always wanted to be there and just play music so i transferred over to nyu i was late on the deadline of getting there um so i had auditioned the year before when i was auditioning for colleges and the, the guy at the time uh bob parsons he remembered my audition and was like, yeah, like we will get him in because it was too late. It was, I guess, post like transfer applicant time or whatever. So he kind of somehow got me under, under all the red tape and like, got me into NYU as a jazz performance major because they wanted me in the program. So that was really cool. So I got in and I spent one semester and I was like, 
I, I met up with him at the end of the semester and I was like, look, I don't want to be in the jazz performance program anymore. I'm going to move to like music education just cause I, I, I wasn't, I'm not going to go to like science. Like, so like, and I couldn't do music business because that's the Stern school, uh, at NYU, which is insane math science. Like it's, I mean, like, oh, so their music business is in the actual business school. It's you take like economics and all these things through the business school as well as the music gotcha. stuff. And Got like it. my my aptitude for math and science was not very very great. Um, so I had this conversation. He was furious because he's like, "I did all this work to get you in here, and now you're going to leave." He was like, <laughs> "He was furious," and I basically was like, "Look, for what I want to do, I'm good enough." I was like, "I just want to play like." power chords and almond brothers solos like you don't have to be good to play that you know and like it wasn't that i was awesome it was just that for what i wanted to do i didn't need that level of education i guess was kind of my point and i was like yeah i'm good like i just want to rock out and play in bands and stuff i don't want to like learn jazz music like five hours a day like this is i don't care about that right i want to play like a, a a chord with distortion and like that gets me off like that's exciting to me and so, yeah, so I split and I did music ed. I ended up graduating with a music ed degree. I got my New York State uh, teacher certification when I graduated. What? Yeah, yeah. And I, but I never had any plans to teach. <laughs> Not one, but I just did it and I never taught and I just played in rock bands. <laughs> but I feel like, you're, I feel like you're sort of like, like selling the short a little bit because I feel like. Yeah, you can say, like, you only want to play power chords and stuff, but I feel like your ability to, like, sight read and memorize charts and theory, like, yes. you must have, I mean, like, to do what you do for a job, you must have have all that stuff. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I know, like, I think I know the basic requirements for, like, professional musician. Does that make sense? Like, I can sight read, but not well, not well at all. And when I first started, I had to, I actually was sight reading an hour a day when I knew I was up for the SNL job. I literally would sight read from like different books an hour, maybe more a day just to like get, cause I was terrible. I only did it for like a few, like one or two years in college. Like that was it. So I was a very basic level. So I worked on that during the audition process, which kind of spanned, I don't know, two months maybe of, of the summer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like three different, yeah, I was sending in videos and YouTube clips first, like to get pre-approved for a meeting. And this is what 2007. Yeah, this summer of 2007. Okay. So, yeah, so I got the pre-approved with the YouTube clips and all that stuff. Then I, I got the email from Lenny, like, yeah, come on in, like, let's meet. Oh, and bring your guitar. And I was like, so is this an audition? <laughs> He's like, ah, it's more of a meeting, an informal, casual meeting with, and we'll play some music. I'm like, okay. is, is Lenny the sax player? Is he yes. the music director? Okay. Yeah, Sorry. Lenny Pickett, musical director of SNL for forever. I don't know how long, but I think he just hit his either 500 or 600 show last season or something. Wow. I have a photo, and like his shirt says like 600 or something. Something crazy like that. Um, and. Yeah, so then I met with him and I played through like the world's worst amp you could play through. It was a Galleon Kruger. You know those little practice bass amps that they have at every college like back in the day? Yeah. Um, like the one speaker. Yes, and it was broken. All the knobs literally did not work. Okay. So thank God I brought like a little distortion pedal because <laughs> I would have been so screwed. Because um, he said, don't bring anything, just a guitar. Um, 
So I did that. That was about three hours. Talked a ton. Got to hear some really amazing stories. It was probably one of the best meetings or like hangs of my life. Just talking to that dude. It was like epic, you know, just hearing all the stuff about childhood and, and his musical upbringing. Yeah, I didn't know much about him. I just, I knew Tower Power, but right. So it was like wild to hear him talk about how he, you know, used his tickets like when he was playing at MSG with David Bowie for like business people. So people would see him play versus like getting it to family, like just like little things, like, you know, crazy stories. And that I did was, not know he was in Tower of Power. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. Since he was like 18 or something. That's fucked up. That's he, nuts. Yeah, yeah. He, it's He's a legend. It's insane. And um, so that was fun. We played like four songs. And literally the first song I did with them, I bombed. Because it was in the key of B, which for guitar players is a terrible... It's like six sharps or something. So like in reading music... For, so you're playing with a full band? No, it was just, just me and him. him. Okay. And it was like, if you don't know me by now, which is an easy song and like an easy melody, but this, the time the six, eight time signature and the, the, all the sharps, like basically all the music notation stuff was a total mind F. Can you say the F word on you this? You can say it, yeah. Mind totally. fuck. It was a mind fuck. It was a mind fuck. And, um, no, no. Standards and practices have changed. Now we have to edit it. Great. Oh, damn it. Mind <laughs> F. <laughs> E-F-F. <laughs> So it was, I totally bombed. So the second song comes on and it was like this kind of like Jimmy Page type riff. I heard it right away as I would have just pick up on it. And there's a solo and I just like, I was like, well, I better, I better nail it with this. Cause like, if I don't do anything good, I, it's like, I'm going to go home. So I, I tried my best, you know, played a solo and did two more songs and then I left. And then I continued to read an hour a day, all kinds of things just to get ready for that callback if it was going to come even if it wasn't got the call back about a couple weeks later played with the entire rhythm section whoa yeah so this now it's literally like me and six dudes uh well, and catrice who was there at the time who uh was the piano player and i we played six songs or something and you had no time like i he was like yeah you have two minutes to look over every song before you play and i was like okay cool like that would be good i'd get a lay of the land did not have that sean our drummer who is legendary for his count offs Mm -hmm. he counts off in fruits and vegetables so every if you notice most of the songs that we play for commercial always start over the drum fill like boom bubba boom or shepa boom or dot 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 you know whatever because that's the best way to do it with the countdown and with tv world so sean will always be like pineapple pineapple so that means like da 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 in. Like <laughs> it'll be like <laughs> we were doing a ballad the other day and he was gonna do a fill and I somehow I na- he's like I named it. I was like ah facado. <laughs> it was like ja ka 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 and I was like, Oh my god, I named a fruit intro. <laughs> it was like the best moment of my astronaut career, maybe. I was very excited. But anyway, so he just was like three, four, and in, so I had no time to work on any of this stuff. But thank God I've been practicing the sight reading. Did the six or seven songs or however many it was. And I took a really insanely long solo for the first song. They were like, yeah, just signal us when you're done. I just did not signal. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, well, it's like you got one shot, right? Right, right. Eminem would say. (laughs) Exactly. You know? Uh, Only got one shot, whatever that song is. Um, So I was like, I'm just going to 
like literally do the best that I can and just go ape shit. And I did. And eventually Leon, our organ player, who's been there for, I think, since the beginning, um, he like stopped us, gave us the sign, like go back to the, you know, the top, whatever. So we go to the thing and we, we end the song and literally everyone's like laughing. Like literally la- everyone's just laughing after the song and like having a funny time. And I'm just like, I kind of think it's funny, but I'm like, what does this mean? Right. Like, is this bad? Is this, it's kind of funny, right? I don't know. And like, it, yeah, it was just like, they were like, oh man, you like, you never signaled. I was like, oh, you told me to signal when I was done. I wasn't done. So everyone got a kick out of it and it, it kind of broke the ice, I think really well. <laughs> and we had a good laugh and moved on and. Yeah, so then I kept sight reading after that day. Eventually got a call um, when I just got off a plane in San Francisco, actually. I was going on my first adult vacation with my now ex-ex. When you, when you have like one, when you have like a few girlfriends removed, do you just still say ex or do you say like my like ex-ex-ex? See, like I would two say- removed ex-ex? I would say only ex-ex if you guys broke up and then got back together and then broke oh. up again maybe. Like two times an ex-girlfriend. Yeah. So technically, know. my wife is my ex-girlfriend. Interesting. How does that... Because you guys... We got married. She's not my girlfriend anymore. Oh, yeah. That is She's true. my ex-girlfriend. And if you oh, really, really want to make her happy, I introduced her as my first wife. <laughs> that's good. I like Goes that. Goes over really great in family settings. Yeah. That is awesome. My first wife. Well, yeah, I don't know. It, it, every once in a while, um, I'll hear Jonah say something about like the dating world and Brad as well, and we'll be like, Haha, "You guys have fun." Oh that god, be, the dating world is brutal. So it sucks. It literally <laughs> is the worst thing ever. Yeah, it sounds not, so not ten years ago, but now in modern day social media dating app world, it literally. I'd rather like what would be a really bad thing to happen. I don't know, but that would whatever that is, that would be more fun. Yeah, it's, it's awful. My wife, and I, my wife and I talk about this. We met in the basement of Niagara, like which is in amazing. Two thousand two, which was great. You know, so like, how'd you guys meet in a bar? Boom, there it is. Which they always say you never meet. You're never gonna meet your wife at a bar. <laughs> well, actually, yes. yeah, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's it's literally like I don't understand it because you talk to people and literally. Everyone says the same thing. Everyone hates it. And everyone's like, I just want to meet someone. And like chicks will be like, I just want to meet like a cool dude and blah, blah. And like dudes are like, I just want to meet like a cool chick. But no one is willing to stop the bullshit and the games and the like, I have 18 options that I, if, oh, I don't like like what this person wore, I'm going to like hit up my other Tinder options or whatever it is. Right. Even if you're not think that way and you're actually giving it someone a shot, it's just like one thing. Like people just are like, nope, cool, I'll go to find like you almost expect I think everyone expects to find like the perfect thing right off the bat. And if it's not that, they don't actually open up to see if this person's a good fit for them. They just move on to the next person. I just think it's like also like the etiquette, like there's no like people are like, Yeah, I don't want a pen pal. Like if you wanna like like keep chatting with me, like let's hang out. It's like, okay, and they're like, Do you want to hang out? It's like, whoa, like I barely know you. And it's like, dude, what, like, what is the etiquette on this? Like, like, it's so confusing. So it is very weird. It feels like, it feels like, and I hate to say the phrase, but I'm going to say it. It's like, like this generation. And I mean this positively because the only thing difference between people is just the internet. That's my big thing. Technology is what sets us apart. But other than that, people are dicks and cool, whatever, no matter when. But 
Like it seems like with Tinder and things like that, it's like, okay, well, we fucked first. So now we can go and decide whether or not you want to hang out. But there's always seems there's that option of, well, if I don't really want to, I can find someone else to have sex with. Yeah. Yeah. And it, like, I don't know. It's weird. I'm, it seems backwards, but I don't want to seem like, I don't know. I don't, I kind of don't, I'm kind of off the like sex with someone I don't really, I'm not into anymore. Mm. Like, I'm just, I, you Do know. Do you feel how awkward this is getting? Me and Jared sort of, we had like a crazy night. Sorry, it's a bad bit. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna go oh my god! <laughs> no, but like, I'm just kind of not into that. Like, I just, I don't know, man. You know, I'm older now. I'm kind of looking for something a little bit more substantial, and I How just. Uh, this is a safe enough. place, dude. You're probably the youngest person rah, here. Thirties. Let's just say thirties, mid thirties. Hey, trust me. Um, but yeah, so I just, I, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to just like hook up with somebody if I'm not like feeling the vibe or feeling them as a person and um and i feel i don't i used to try to like talk to people more on those dating apps but then it never that would be a disaster so now i'm just like i go straight in i'm just like yo let's grab some like yeah ice cream or something like i do something that's so not like pervy <laughs> like oh let's go to a bar and like get wasted and like go home it's like i'm just like hey you want, you want to grab ice cream like super cash super fun and I feel like that's been working more. And then I meet them and it's like, if we have a good time, then we'll hang out again. Do but you, it's tough. Do you have this thing that I have where it's like, like, you have a cool job. Like I have a cool job. Like you're like, well, we're cool. We're cool. But as like, I don't, you're really cool. <laughs> look at that like, mustache. That's super cool. <laughs> I know. You but, look great by the way. Thank you, Jared. You no, look- he has like, he's got a sting glow right now. <laughs> oh, he works I ca- out. I came from yoga. Um, but it's so one of those things where I'm like, I'm like, on paper, this sounds cool, but like, I don't feel cool. And I still feel like I'm bad at this. Like I was bad at this when I was like a teenager. Yeah. I, I don't, I, I get the, like, everyone assumes my, what my life is. Right. And it literally can, I say literally all the time, <laughs> but it could not be further from people's mind. Everyone thinks, oh my God, you must hang out with like all the like hosts and all i'm like dude what are you kidding me i'm there once a week like we i'm in my dressing room unless we're on stage or i'm eating at dinner and like there's no we're not all hanging out in a room together like shooting the shit for two hours and going out partying like i don't meet these people you know and then and then there's even still the like industry people like oh man you must like meet all the like dope like label and it's like i don't I don't know what everyone's who like what everyone looks like and who they are, and I don't like approach ever. And it's also I'm there to play music. I'm it's a corporate job. It's you know it's a corporation. I'm there to support a show. You're not like you can't be going around like kissing everyone's ass and trying to like plug different agendas. Like that's just not cool. Right. Well, it was always the old bit. Like even like on you know go far back as radio. You know like Jack Benny show. It was always kind of the joke. Like the working stiffs were the band. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't even like it wasn't even like so much the crew or producers backstage. It was like ah oh, these guys, these guys over here putting it down hard. You know what I mean? Like it was always the band who were the dudes holding things hide, but they were the you know they were the blue collar ones of the show. Yeah, it's it's literally a union job that for a musician is. Thank God I have it. It's outstanding. Yeah, I, got, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, I got very lucky, and. That's kind of all it is. 
it it just happens to be that I play music for a hilarious TV show, you know? And so my time in between playing music is really fun because I get to watch a funny show, you know? And that, other than that, it's, I don't really know. It's not that, I don't know. It's not what people think it is. And, and everyone just assumes like my life is this fairy tale of celebrity, but it's like, dude, are you kidding me? Like I just bought the squatty potty. Like that's what I did. Like, you know, dude, like, how do you like that thing? I'm getting used to it. I'm a big fan. I've heard I like a lot it. of positive feedback from people on that. Yeah, I like it. And I just bought this nightlight that has a sensor for the toilet bowl at night because I always have to turn on the light and it's brutal. Seen it, love it. Okay. Yeah. See, this is like my life. Yeah. It's like I, I go play hockey twice a week. I'm I'm working on music as much as I can. Like whether it's collaborating with people and doing like more pop stuff or songwriting stuff, or the majority of the time, to be honest, is on my own stuff, the Pearl Lion stuff, and SNL. Like that's that's it. Like I don't go out a lot. All my friends live in LA. Really? Like no one lives here anymore because yeah. no one can afford it, or everyone's just over yeah, that's it. That's true. There has been like a mass exodus, I feel like. For the last eight years. Yeah. So I know like three people I can call it I go out with. You're like a guy who has one of those jobs where it's like you just cannot be anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What what would get you to leave the gig? Like would you want to be a touring guitar player or a studio guy? Like what would be the call? I I never wanted to be uh, someone – I never wanted to be a, a gun for hire. That's just never my thing. I love doing session stuff for albums mm-hmm. and for artists. Like I just did the Sarah Bareilles Waitress album last year oh, or cool. two years ago. And that was an ama- – oh, maybe a year. It was an amazing experience and I love – I love being creative with people that I want to be creative with and like what they do. Um, but I never wanted a tour for other people. I just don't want to play the same song and play the same riffs that are not my own for pay for shit pay or for any pay. I mean, like if maybe like Paul McCartney came a call and that might be a different scenario, but that doesn't really happen. Um, so yeah, I always wanted to do my own thing. I always grew up and I wanted to be like the Jimmy page of my generation. I wanted to do something with the guitar that was pushing the envelope, being somewhat visionary with it really trying to be unique um, and have people enjoy that and have people and it kind of be known for that, you know, and like, but not even, I just, but doing it mostly because that's just how my brain operates. And that's kind of what I'm doing with the Pearl Lion, like instrumental thing. That's me trying to take on that role, which I've always wanted to do, but never found the right band to like do that. I never found my Robert Plant. So I just kind of was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to just like do something that I think could be modern and interesting and cool um, that I think people who don't listen to instrumental music could actually get behind and still do those types of things. So that was kind of the, the impetus for that. But so you're more, you're more of a page guy than a Jeff Beck guy. I, I only, well, I say Jimmy page just in terms of what he means for guitar and like band world and music. You know, he's not my favorite guitar player, but what he stands for, I, I tend to identify with and believe in. But Jeff Beck, I was super late to the party. I didn't get into Jeff Beck until a few years ago when I started hearing that Somewhere Over the Rainbow rendition he did, which is yeah. staggering. Yeah, it's pretty it's, insane. And I started getting into him more in his late, like him now in the last five, ten years, like his how he's progressed to like just using his fingers and all the whammy bar stuff 
it's so lyrical and melodic that it's it's incredible. I definitely he's become like one of my favorite guitar players to listen to. I don't typically listen to guitar players, but he's amazing. What are some, now, who, who what is your favorite guitar player? Do you have one? Um, I kind of hate guitar now, to be honest. That's fine. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's a whole life with it. I listen to more producers and beats, beat makers, and you know, like Hudson Mohawk and Flying Lotus and uh, Low End Theory on Wednesday nights at, at the airliner in L.A. and like uh, Spotify playlists with Low End Theory artists and um, you know, pop music and like just. I watch like videos, you know, like how like hip hop producers made this beat and this, uh, you know, I just love like production and tracks and beat making and all that stuff. And as far as guitar, it's like, I don't, I'm just so sick of like the classic thing that, and I like, excuse me, I like all the new pedals and all the new things that are happening out there, but, um, I've yet to hear it in an, in a, listenable music application that I think is really cool. Um, so I'm not really on the guitar tip right now, to be honest. What about that's a very, like, that's a very Jeff Beck thing to say, actually. Do you, do you keep yes. up with like, sort of like talking about how we met, like any, like the punk emo, like that world at all, or is that not really so much on your radar? Musically? Musically. I don't, you know, I was into it. I was on the fringe of that era. I was like, I liked the Jimmy World stuff because it was super melodic and poppy and not so much like into Thursday. You know, and I liked a few songs from Taking Back Sunday because they were like catchy, but I right. wouldn't listen to them because I was more of a pop guy, not like an emo dude, but I also lo- came up from rock. So that's why like when I heard the, the used first album, that blew my mind. To me, to this day, that to me is the best emo album I've like ever heard, and I w- I still enjoy that record because it's it's a legendary album. I mean, you know, it had catchy and like singable melodic songs with a band that was just crushing it. The guitar stuff was kind of pretty inventive and cool and different, yeah. and the rhythm section was ridiculous. So to me, that was the perfect storm, and I kind of was like, that was dope, and. I was probably on some other shit back then. I was probably listening to more like what era, what era was that? Like what that was what, like 2002 early 2000s? was that first record. Yeah. So then I was probably at that point I was on my like third eye blind like Counting Crows, Tom those are Petty. Good records. The first the first ones of both those bands are incredible. Well, see this is funny. The only reason I liked both those bands is because of their second album. I despised both bands. I thought they were P U S S Y the Donald Trump word, um, pussy bands, pardon my Trump. And, <laughs> and Jared's just grabbing at things. Yeah. I was like, ah, um, I hated it. And I, I remember hearing the first track on the new third eye blind on like radio, anything. And I was like, Oh my God, this rocks. I love it. Cause I was into like food fighters and rock bands and all this shit. And I, I just got so into the album. And same thing with Counting Crows. The first song on the second album was um, Angels of the Silences, which is like a straight-up, like, up-tempo rocker. And I was like, oh, my God, like, this has balls. I dig it. And through those albums, I loved so much. And they're still some of my favorite records. I went back to the first albums, and I was ready to accept them. And, I, <laughs> and then I, like, loved them, obviously. Um, and it's funny, like, think about things full circle. I became friendly with Kevin Cadigan, like, a couple years <sighs> back. 
He, Dude, okay. He's, he's he's the guitar player from Third Eye Blind. The one who quit the first record, who changed the face no, of the whole band. Third, he quit after the second album. Oh, second album. Yeah. And he actually, he, he, uh, Invited me to do the ice bucket challenge. Remember that whole thing? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, he's like a, a friend of mine. Just like, you know, how do you, what would you call a friend through computer? Like an it's, internet friend? Yeah, like not a like, pen pal, but like. Like an e-friend? Yeah, he's like an e-friend. <laughs> he's an e-friend. That's, That's perfect. <laughs> he's an e-friend. We talk a bunch and like over the years and, you know, like if I saw him, we would be totally comfortable you know, because we talk, it's like we're friends. We just haven't met in person. But we became friends, and I obviously supported him for a long time. And and recently, I've become friends with all of Third Eye Blind, the new like the new era, <laughs> including Steven. So, and I actually I just played on their new uh, their not uh, the, not the EP that just came out, but something that's coming out. I just played it on a song with them like recently, like a few months ago. And, um, so I've hung out with Steven a bunch and like played in the studio with those guys and, um, Alex and Chris and like all the dudes and like Alex, like all the band guys who are younger dudes in third eye blind, like I've become like super homies of mine. Like I love them. Every time they come to New York, like we go out and we hang out. It's like, like I said, I don't have any friends in New York. Like when they're in town, I actually have a social life. It's great. <laughs> but we go eat and we go hang and I just love those dudes. And, um, yeah, so it's been a very interesting, like, from my favorite rock band, rock pop band ever, to how I got into them, to becoming friends with the actual guitar player, who was, to me, is like a legend for those parts Dude, and all the stuff he wrote. Would, so would, great, that first record. Would you say yeah. you're living a semi-charm kind of life? I would say I nice. am. Nice! I like that segue. <laughs> yeah. Actually, Steven taught me, uh, showed me how he got the, like, verse guitars for that song. The studio that we were recording at, had the actual Gretsch that he played on Semi Charm Life, which has the uh, muted type bridge thing. You know, you like turn that switch up and there like foam comes up on the strings. There's like in the, some of those old okay. Gretsches. I've they, never seen that before. Yeah, like old Gretsch. Look out on those old guitars. They have a switch and like this kind of bridge with foam kind of comes up and mutes the strings. So he's playing this whole part on the on the verse and he like sat there and he's like, this is the guitar I played it on. And he only lives in this studio, and he played the part like while I was there, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is a crazy," <laughs> you know. And then, and then, you know, ten minutes later, I'm tracking not on my rig on the on Chris's rig, but for a new song, and he's like loving it, and he comes in, and he's like starting to get like amped up because like it's starting to go the direction he wants. It's always tricky when you start laying down ideas for people's music because, you know. I've learned so many styles. I could kind of do a lot of things. So it can really go any direction. You never know what someone's looking for. But when you strike that thing, like you, they just like light up. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And like that's when all the ideas start flowing. So he's coming in and he's like giving me, you know, ideas and saying all these cool things. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is crazy. Like Stephen Jenkins is talking to me about parts. And then he'll come back in and like, then he starts singing and like, picking up the guitar and we're playing together. I'm like, I'm playing with Stephen J. Like this is, I'm like saying this inside my brain. Like, this is crazy. Like, so did exciting. you ever want to ask what happened between you and Kevin? Come I on. would never ask. I would never ask that. Um, <laughs> I, would so, I would so ask that. I would Steven, never you ask, would ask that. I can't, <laughs> I can't ask, but, um, I kind of know, but 
you know, it's just different sides of the stories. But anyway, it was really nerve wracking. It was really cool. And that was like one of the biggest highlights of my life. And the way he's, you know, his lyrics are so like amazing and eloquent. He's such a good lyricist. The, his notes he would give me were totally like from that same brain. Like he'd be like, think about if you were trying to reach an alien in another planet and you you can make these noises and it was going out of the earth but they couldn't hear you like they could hear you but they couldn't respond to you what would that the and i'm doing a terrible job but the way he would say it was so like beautifully eloquent and just really smart and intelligent like his lyrics it was just so wild just to be in that scenario it was really cool this is like we had frank turn on the podcast and he ended up talking about counting crows for like a half an hour and i yeah. was like it's so strange like sometimes to hear people's influences because you would never kind of put it together i guess dude that i i will always love third eye blind they will always be one of my favorite rock bands even now like all the new stuff just like in general like i just love i love melodic music and i love rock music and they put the two together like perfectly and they're always like you know trying to push the envelope with sounds and guitar things and that's totally like in my world, you know, I love that. I mean, what do you think about sort of like the music business now? Like having gone oh. to school for that. I mean, I know this is like maybe music a- business is like dating in 2016. <laughs> the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Which is worse? I don't. Maybe the music business. Yeah. <laughs> well, because you're actually trying to make a living off of the music business, you can listen you know it only takes one for for dating right right that's true that's true. you find one and they find the right one for you then you're good but music business it's brutal man i was signed at the at the tail end of the whole like everyone gets a deal and you get my i made a half million dollar album for rca records with my band called carbondale which ironically my bandmates my ex-bandmates sent me uh, an eBay listing today they found of our of our old photo and a bio someone was selling for fifteen dollars sorry fourteen ninety nine which is hilarious yeah get on um, if you're listening to this and you're interested it might be up there Carbondale Carbondale I, I put it on my Instagram feed on my story <laughs> at Sharf is here S C H A R F F is here um, uh, I put it on my story today it's hilarious but anyway. Um, the, yeah, so I was caught at the tail end where we made a half million dollar album. I think we got like $300,000 signing bonus. I mean, for like five dudes. I lived in the city for a year. Like they paid my rent. Like that was sick. You know, at at the age of like 21, I graduated college. I got signed basically on my, actually on my 22nd birthday. So, so this is like right after you graduated NYU? Yeah, like right after, like that November. And when this band was sort of playing out while you were in school basically? Or? Uh-huh. Yeah, we were playing. We did a couple of demos throughout the years with different people, different producers. And finally we kind of had like a really solid four song demo. Um, and we're, you know, we were selling out, not selling out, but like, you know, 150 people at Mercury lounge or whatever, like line out the door. Like it was, yeah. it was a thing. Like it really was a thing. And that was very exciting. And, um, and we got signed. Actually, that's how a lot of people knew me for like, I think that's how I met everyone in New York. Cause it was like, we did the rounds, you know, we were in front of everybody, like all the music business, everybody. And, um, that was cool. And then the collapse of the label started happening. RCA merger, J Clive Davis came in, dropped 30 bands, including us. 
And that was kind of the end of the, the big label thing. And now we're in a different era where now there's no album sales and it's only pretty much streaming only almost. And everyone's clamoring for singles because that's the only way you get you only make money that way on the radio if you have a number one single. So now all this stuff is diluted to like five or six writers on a track. And there's all these, there's like 800 different publishing companies because everyone and their mother, like you get like a hit or have some cuts. You're like, oh, I'm going to make a publishing company and sign writers. And it's just this crazy, that's a whole crazy world. And like, I don't even know what labels do anymore except like big business and just, just distribute and market. They're basically a marketing company right. at this point. Most people are making records on their own anyway. There's no budgets for albums. So I don't know how you make a living like playing music. Like I'm trying to put out this pro line stuff, my project, and you know, granted it, it doesn't have vocals and maybe it's not, you know, the most mainstream thing, but it's still accessible music. And like there are at any given point, 50 to 300 like suggestions on iTunes and Spotify of what you should be listening to. Like, I don't even know what to listen to when I go up on iTunes. And like, I love music, you know? <laughs> and so it's just really, it's, it's so easy to get lost. It's hard to, it's hard to stand out. It's hard to get your stuff heard. Like, I've made two videos that are out already. One was, with live animation from Fox, like Fox, you know, the Simpsons, Fox, Fox ADHD. Um, that is brilliant. Like it's brilliant. And I could say that I didn't make the animation. So it's like, you know, right. I'm not like whatever. And it got, it did well. Cause it was on their page. Like they debuted it on their YouTube page. So it's got like almost 300,000 views, which is not bad, you know, but I put out a second video. The director, this guy Dan Wheating, who is a genius and does like all the Bonnie Bear stuff. So everyone knows his work. Incredible eye. I made this like well, I didn't. He made this gorgeous video that was literally like, in my opinion, one of the most perfect like united like music to to video like marriage. And it's of all these gorgeous places in America, like Grand Canyon, like Bryce Canyon, Joshua Tree. It's literally it could be like it could be like a National Geographic ad or something. It's that quality, and like I think only and I think only have like three thousand plays on it. Like I can't get I can't pay people to watch it, you know. And people that do watch it, the response is tremendous. But it's my point is it's so hard to cut through and get anything through these days. Unless it's some viral like trap song that people like or some like viral pop thing with some stupid Ableton like vocal chop in it. It's just become so I don't know, it's it's weird. It's a really weird time. It's the Wild West because you can do anything and you can have success, but it's so hard to stand out over eight thousand things, you know? It's really challenging. I hate it. <laughs> have you have you ever thought about like when when I was watching your Big Sky video like like that? I mean, it's so gorgeous to look at. But have you ever thought about or done any like scoring or soundtrack work or anything like that? Because so that is typically the question that I get, and my response is like I like why can't that be just taken as like an artist an artist pr like thing like that's it's a musical piece and this is just like an accompanying video thing. 
and like stand alone for that. Yeah, obviously, like it can work in film, and I would love to do film stuff in the same way someone used Sigur uh, Ross for Vanilla Sky, or Bill Frizzell for Finding Forrester, or Elliot Smith for uh, Good Will Hunting. You know, where it's music and the artists, but they're not necessarily like scoring someone walking down like a street at night, you know, and like making mood music. You know, I. I really want to be considered as like a real artist project, you know. I don't want to just like I don't want to sit there and try to figure out how to make strings and do. All, I don't do that, you know. Like I make my music, you know. And if people and I do think it's uh, accessible to TV and film, but I would love them to license what I've like what I've made. That makes and sense. Use that, you know what I mean? Like coming just basically coming from more an artist uh, perspective than someone who actually can arrange scores because i definitely do not know how to do that (laughs) but i mean i feel like i get a lot of shit because i on this podcast a lot like we'll have on like you know like sd from high and we've had on people who are i play instruments but Mm -hmm. also like have had success in pop and to me i'm just like i'm like this is to me i'm like this is bullshit this is like if you have seven people writing your song other people arranging it you're basically you're like someone with good genetics and a good voice and they prop you up there and then to me like I would rather play St. Vitus to 30 people and play something I wrote myself. To me, there's something inauthentic about that. I know people have written songs for other people since the history of music. Yeah. But I think it's different when you have so many teams of people doing all the work and then someone else you put up on a pedestal. To me, those it's kind of bullshit. Well, I think what happens is these people want to be stars. And if that's the case, you do whatever you want. Like They're not trying to be artists. Those people are trying to be stars and their gift is their singing or, you know, like how they bring their emotion to a vocal, which not to discredit them. That's a huge thing, you know, and the only way to be a star is to have the mass public hear what you do. The only way to guarantee that is to typically like get the best of the best to make that. It's just what it is. Right. I guess I just don't under like I feel like all these shows like The Voice and all this stuff like I just don't understand this mentality. Like it just I'm I'm like, oh, this person's good. This person's not like to me. I'm like it all. I don't know. I just I don't have that gene or something. Well, the the voice. I love the voice. Okay. Um, I've known Adam since we were kids. I played in bands with Adam like growing up and in summer camp, like performing arts summer camps. And um so I like I watch it just because I love like seeing Adam be ridiculous, but I also love the show. And the one thing that constantly, the feeling I constantly get from that show is I'm it makes me upset. Like why can only a person who's got a great voice be a star? Why can't like an amazing musician be a star? Like why can't why doesn't society embrace anything but a vocalist? And what the show kind of does is basically. Like kind of what you're talking about, Jonah, it's like it accentuates if you have a great voice with the right song and the right thing, like you can be a star. And it's like, well, what about everybody else who's incredibly talented? Like what what can they do? It's kind of it's just kind of it's the same thing. To me, it does the same thing and it's giving the same message, uh, uh, parallel, same message of look at these like hot Instagram models and like people on in ads and like if if you don't look like them like you're not attractive to me it's the same thing parallel obviously but it's kind of that same mentality 
Like if you're not this, like you, you're not great. Yeah, it's a bummer. No one will watch a show called The Guitar. Yeah, or like The Musician. Yeah, you know, where like someone like plays different styles of music and like they stretch their brown. You know, that could be cool, mm-hmm. but like nobody would watch it because people relate to song, and the the only way you can convey a song is through speaking. <laughs> like, well, convey a, con- a conventional song with lyrics that people can relate to that's why with like my stuff more of the pretty the mellow stuff like big sky and the stuff that's on what i call the light mini album i have a dark and a light the light kind of for me is supposed to give people the emotional draw and pullback and melodies that essentially would replace the feeling of like a singer being there i want to give the listener that same experience without a vocalist but i wouldn't i mean i would much rather watch one of your like un, unnecessary shredding videos than someone saying i will always love you for like the 800th time right but you would be one of the large but small in comparison to the world people like niche market that would care about watching a guitar player do an unnecessary shredding video most people aren't, aren't watching it. And the reason do you, guys, do you guys remember the G3 tours? Do you remember these? Yeah, of course. Yeah. The sad. You know I mean, like, like we used to go crazy for yeah, that. Yeah, like, but it's all like, guitarists. It's, it's all guitarists. And those guys are technicians on the guitar. So, like, I don't really do that. Like, I can't play like those guys. That's not what I do. I make like more music, like not guitar music with guitar. You know, those dudes are technicians. People want to see them shred and do all this stuff. Um, but. I want to appeal to like the masses. I want to appeal to like normal people, not just like guitar guys. I would love to appeal to anybody, period. I'll take it, right? But I want to make music that affects everybody, not just people that be like, yo, do you hear what he did on that like E Phrygian? That was the, sick. That tritone sub. Dude, that tritone sub tapping double hand technique was sick with the whammy pull off. Oh my God. Like that dude, I like literally could not give a shit about that. I I never did. I don't care. I want to make fucking music that affects people. I don't think that affects anyone except your brain and like what, what you can learn from that, like what you can do by watching and learning that. That's like what those people, I think, I don't know. That probably affects those people, but it doesn't affect me. I mean, I felt like, you know, I did like summer classes at like guitar class at Berkeley, Mm -hmm. probably all this stuff. Did you do that? I did too. When did you do that? I did it when I was like 20 years ago. I did it when I, I just turned 37. I was like 17, about to turn 18. So, yeah. What year was that? I would or do you not want to say? No, I'll say it. Uh, I mean, I would say, what was 20, like 96, I, 90, 90, I, probably 97? I went in 96. Summer of 96. Have we talked about Summer this Summer of 96. It's the reverse. <laughs> we had, I was in it with a Did couple of- Did you get of, that? The reverse? 96. Yes, we got, we got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Did you know any of these Here guys in this band? I didn't know that song was about a sexual position until a few months ago. I felt really dumb. Wait, you're, it is? It is? Yeah, because he's not born in 69. He's much older than that. So the, the song is literally the summer of where he learned to 69. That's why it's... Oh, I thought he just had a really memorable summer I that I just year. thought it was a great summer <laughs> yeah. of 69. No, it's not about 1969 because he's too young to have been that guy. So it's 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 and he's he's confirmed that it's about the summer of sixty nining. Dude, ha ha! That's the joke. The song is different, but the title is the. Oh mother ever! Wow, you're welcome. Um, you're not thanked. 
<laughs> but I did it that summer. I did it with a couple of guys in the span of Paula Sunshine. Do you remember? Yes, them? Jeremy Black. Yeah, Jeremy Black and Sam Cohen, who's actually yes. done this podcast. Those guys, Jeremy. I think uh, Jeremy's. I think maybe the whole band, or at least like a couple of those guys, were in the program with me. That's all. Yeah, that's how I think I. I might have missed that. I was in the program with Jeannie Schofield. She was there when I was there. Well, then that we were there. Yeah. Do you remember what? Steve Steve Rushelman? Uh, now, now named Shebby, Steve Shebby. No. Uh, yeah, he was a New York guy. He was in Band Camp. Remember that band? No. Which was Matt Coma's old band. I don't. Yeah. So he was there. Um, I I know a lot of. Do you ever ever meet Ezra from SNL? He was there that year too. Really? He's more in the mix room. No. Yeah. And my I, buddy, a, I wasn't super social when I was 17. I, like, would, like... Dude, we probably, like, talked to each other. Probably. I, like, it was uh, funny. Like, this was my first summer away from... Summer of 96! <laughs> I was 17. I wanted to get my tongue pierced so bad. Oh, my God. And I did it on my 18th <laughs> birthday. I waited. But I used to just go to shows at the Middle East. Like, I would go see, like, In My Eyes or, like... 18 plus? How did you get in? I, they were all ages shows. I would go to punk uh, shows. I'd go see like Madball or like so, Can- Cannibal Corpse or see, like. See, I had a fake ID. Okay. Not because I didn't. I didn't even drink yet at that time, and I never tried any drugs ever, and I still pretty much have them. But um, I, I had a fake ID because I just wanted to go to shows and I wanted to like see stuff, so I just got a fake ID and never used it. Never went out to like any shows or like anything I couldn't get into. Um, and then about two years later, my freshman year of high school, I was driving to the Hart School of Music in Connecticut and I get pulled over by a trooper, state trooper. He says, take, you know, show me your license. So I take out my license and what's behind my real license? Fake ID. The fake license. Uh. And he's like, and that one. So this motherfucker, militant, like fucking, I'm going to kill you motherfucker is like, screaming at me like threatening to take me to jail he's like i just took two people to jail this week for that and i'm like dude i'm like the nicest like kindest person like i'm like uh i was like i tell him the whole story of berkeley like why i had it i didn't use it i don't drink and blah blah i was like being as kind and sweet as i possibly could and like he he let me go he took the fake id which fine i didn't need it and ended up only getting like a speeding ticket, but holy shit! I was so scary. I was such a loser that I had two roommates who I knew, and I, I I didn't drink either. And we would go out every night. We'd go to Little Stevie's Pizza. Yes, always Little Stevie's. We would get pizza, play video games, then we'd go to this grocery store and just buy like a box of cupcakes. Store twenty four. And we would just sit in our room. <laughs> it was right across from our dorm. I, I would put in my retainer at night, and we made a rule where. We're uh, the garbage. You didn't have to throw garbage in a garbage can. The floor was considered a garbage can. What? So I would be like, let me throw this away. And I would just drop it on the floor. And we would do this thing with those oatmeal cream pies, those little Debbie ones, where we would <laughs> open them up and just stick them to the wall. What the hell? <laughs> so instead of like getting fucked up or like trying to hook up with girls, it was literally us just in a room <laughs> covered in trash, <laughs> like just like talking about fucking Primus or something. You just were living your life, man. Yeah. that Very, was... very sexy. That's amazing. Yeah. That was my experience. That's kind of incredible, actually. Yeah. Dude, that's how I met Jeannie. Really? And my friend uh, Tony Barbara, who I ended up seeing in New York at NYU, who now just played on the, the most recent Bonnie Vare album. 
which is awesome. Jared, we don't often get questions from people out in the field, but uh, oh. a very good friend of ours who's also a good friend of yours, I texted this morning. Uh-oh. Are you going to name the name or are you going to keep it? Oh, I'm going to name it, but I said, uh, let me give you the backstory. I first said, hey, man, we've got um, your buddy Jared Scharf coming in. Do you, what, what should we ask him? Do you have anything like, oh, like no. tidbits or something exciting or dirt? Oh, no. And, and uh, our good friend Jared Cotter, uh. he just wrote this. Man, I got nothing. He's squeaky clean. It's true. The, and then he wrote the, one of the best guitar players in the world. And then he then he ended with, um, he can be super hyper, especially when talking about music. That's all I got. <laughs> Jared Cotter. One of I just first wrote guests. him back. Oh, my God. You are so correct. This dude is amped. Yeah, dude. Well, I also had two um, like Japanese teas before I got here. Yeah. That'll do it. Yeah, Jared, Jared Cotter, one of my one of my all time favorite people in life. Dude, Jared Cotter is could not be one of the more like sweeter, kinder, awesomest, awesomer, awesomest, awesomest people yes. ever. Uh, he, I did a lot of work with him. I was in a production team for for a bit uh, here in New York, and he was writing with us a lot, and we were working on a lot of music together. In fact, you should ask him to send you busy signal. There you go. There's some dirt on Cotter. He was going to release some stuff for his own project. Oh. And he never did it. We did and ask ask to send uh right ask him to send you busy signal and right time for love. You I think hear I, I, I've heard right time for love. Really? That's a great tune. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was that was my production team. I love it. So yeah. what what uh so sort of what's going on with you for the rest of the I mean obviously SNL just kind of started back up. Yep. So uh so what else, like aside from that, like what else are you working on? What else can people sort of like check out from, from you if they want to see you more than Saturday nights? Yes. Well, the funny thing is people don't actually see me at all playing music for the most part on Saturday nights. They see me behind a host laughing and clapping. Right. That's like I, I joke. Sometimes I run into people and like we get onto the thing and I, you know, figure out whatever I'm doing this and – um. And they're like, oh yeah, you kind of look familiar. Like, well, hold on, how about now? And I like, I like laugh, like I mime laughing and clapping. And they're like, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I guess I don't. I usually not a big deal. I'm usually there. I'm not watching on TV, so I, I know, feel like I always see you guys play. But I don't know what actually gets on. I guess yeah, for the most part. Yeah, not much. Um, <laughs> not much. The, the thing is, like most people don't get to actually see me play. I, it's funny. It's like I play every almost every sad. Well, okay. I play 21 Saturdays, 22 Saturdays a year. And the majority of the world who's, who watches the show doesn't see me play guitar. So I started the unnecessary shredding thing because I was like, I want people to like actually see what I do. And there are band shots where like they cut the camera and I'm in front and I get to solo right. for like three, four seconds of airtime and I'm on it. And that's cool. Um, but yeah, so I started the unnecessary shredding, which is a funny concept, but it's a serious thing. Uh, it's just me just like playing some solos over like some pop songs and that's on my YouTube page. It's really cool. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. I had a lot of fun. I did it in Paris. There's like ones with me in front of the Eiffel Tower. It's really interesting. Um, I have a few coming out. I have one that I did with Joy Wave that'll be out soon and one where I'm uh, uh, shredding while ice skating wearing this jersey. It's like ridiculous. I know. Um, but I just do that for fun just to kind of show people like, yeah, I, you know, I play guitar and, um, you don't just pose with a guitar. Yeah. I don't just pose with one. And, but mostly obviously as an artist, like I want people to check out my music, you know, Pearl Lion and 
my it's like my producer of music project and I would love people to just give it a chance. Like even though there's no vocals, it's like, you know, I think you'll find that in the right circumstances, it might be the perfect soundtrack for your life. <laughs> so there's, and like I said, there's the mini light album coming out and the dark um, mini album coming out. They're like two halves of a whole. One is the light is like vibey kind of Bonnie Vera, Sigur Ross explosions in the sky, Daniel and land, like kind of emotional, pretty chill, you know, landscapey vibe. And then the dark is kind of the like more amped up rock kind of like Jack White, Smashing Pumpkins guitars, like meets, you know, big beats, kind of Kanye, Justice, Ratatat inspired, Hudson Mohawk. Well, one person described the Alpha 4 song, like it was one of those a journal musical things like that blog. Um, I don't remember exactly, but she said something like, you know, buzzing buzzing guitars pulsating synths like and crazy drums like that it sounds like a cross between you know hudson mohawk with mortal Kombat and nine inch nails or something <laughs> that's great. And i was like that she said it really in a really great way. i was like that's the coolest thing i was ever said about my music um so yeah so i would love people to check that out there's two videos up on youtube on the pearl lion youtube page um they're now streamable. I'm going to be releasing three I have three more videos that I'm going to be releasing as time goes on. Eventually, both of the mini albums will be released as well, and they'll be streamed. They're on iTunes. It's on Spotify. And, um, yeah, like, if you want to hear, like, my vision and my world and my music, like, that, and that's what I want to offer the world. So, so it's there for the taking. All right. All right. Thank you so much to Jared for coming by. Um, you can check him out every Saturday night um, when SNL is, is airing. Um, he'll be the guy during Shredding. the monologue, <laughs> sitting there smiling politely, and then in between commercials, ripping solos. And if you are ever lucky enough to go to an actual taping of the show, you get to see him play a lot more. Right. Um, yeah, they play a lot, and I feel like they just kind of cut in and out. Right. Um, uh, also, check out uh, Pearl Lion. That's kind of Jared's solo stuff. It's really cool. Check out his unnecessary shredding videos. And you can check him out on Instagram. Sharf is here. He's on Snapchat, Jared Sharf. He's on Twitter. Sharf is here. He's all over the internet. He's all around, man. He's all over. Uh, he's just <laughs> ripping arpeggios wherever he goes. Um, he's Yeah, he's also... I, I really like his Instagram account, too, because he... Uh, he gets a lot of cool gear. So if you're a gearhead, yeah, he gets a lot. Of, he's been using these Supro guitars that are really cool. It's, it's sad how many likes that pictures of gear get. I've noticed that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it's not sad, but you know, you get interesting pictures of people doing funny things, and they don't get nearly the as many likes as like an old Les Paul. Yeah, I'd rather look at a Les Paul than most people. <laughs> And I definitely would rather look at it than most people's salads. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Yes. Yeah. You're correct there. <laughs> but no, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. It's uh, not a sentient thing. No. <laughs> Do you have any Les Pauls? No. I've, I, ha- I actually, one of my, f- my first cool, my first good guitar was a Les Paul. Me too. And it got stolen on the way to the pawn shop when I was poor. <laughs> 
That's that's really what happened. To you it. were going to pawn it. I was and it going got to pawn it because I was broke and out of work, and it got stolen. It was wow. when I was in college. My first guitar. Well, my first guitar was this court, but my first nice guitar was a Les Paul Studio, and I'm pretty sure I bought it from this. I probably have talked about this before. I bought it from this place, Mayfield Music, that turned out to basically be a drug front, and I was taking guitar lessons there. Was it hot? I think it was. <laughs> Like, maybe it was mine. Maybe it was brand new. It was a Les Paul studio, <laughs> yeah. and it was the first year they made the studios, and it was all black with gold pickups. Yeah, and I mine. broke the headstock on it three times, and it still is in my parents. I got it repaired, and that then it was too fragile. But I have it; it's still in my parents' basement. But yeah, this this place I went was like where I took guitar lessons was so sketchy. <laughs> and I remember you would do lessons in the basement. You'd go down the basement. And I took lessons from this guy, Andy, this guy with like long, greasy hair, and he would just chain smoke cigarettes and teach me Metallica songs. Oh, God. And I was like 14, like my mom would have to drive me. <laughs> um, and uh, it was amazing. But that, yeah. And then when I was in college, I saved up and bought uh, this 89 Les Paul Custom, which was, has been my main guitar until the last couple of years when I realized it was slowly destroying my back. Yeah. They're too heavy for they're me. They're too heavy, but they just sound so good. Yeah, I like. I mean, I had a really nice vintage junior for a while, and then my main guitar, like through the goops, and till now is the Spirit, which is like a, it's like a junior. Okay, I've been using Gibson. this um, Reverend guitar, and they gave me. Oh yeah, you showed me. They that gave me a, a really good kind of artist deal on it. Um, so shout out to those guys. They they really hooked me up. It's called the Sensei RA, and it's kind of it's got these Railhammer pickups, and it's. I feel like it's heavy. It sounds heavy like a Les Paul without the actual weight. Right. It's, it plays really nice. So, yeah, it's uh, a nice guitar. That has been this installment of Gear Talk with Brad and Jonah. <laughs> uh, that was your bonus Gear Talk, That man. was your bonus Gear Talk. Yeah, so if no, you're still here, no, you're definitely going to give us money, yeah, right? No, it's big, yeah, normally only our Patreon uh, subscribers get that bonus Gear Talk segment. Um, they pay a, a lot of extra money for that. Um, oh, yeah. Actually, we don't have that. We haven't set that up. What we did set up recently was a Venmo account. Um, it's Off Track is the account name. Off Track is the account name. It'll come up with my name, Brad's too. Brad's name will to come verify. up. Um, Brad's a very trustworthy guy. And uh, you can send... I will take that dollar and send it right to our you server. You can send any amount of money to us and help support our server costs. Um, you can also request money from Brad. He probably won't pay you. <laughs> but if you want to fuck with him, that's probably what I'm going to do. Uh, so yeah, if you want to donate to help our server costs, uh, you can do it Venmo at Off Track. Um, if you are light on cash, we get it. Uh, leave us a nice review on iTunes. Subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it. Tweet about it. Scream about it. <laughs> start a fan club. Start your own podcast based on this podcast. Yeah, have us on it as guests. We'll be promise if you start a podcast that's a real podcast. Yeah, you it's should. about going off track. We'll come on. Yeah. <laughs> going off yeah you should once you reach i think we should they should have a certain amount of listeners though don't you think yeah i just think the world needs more podcasts there aren't enough <laughs> brad what's your favorite podcast i'm really getting into crime town this is my new one there's so many of these true crime ones i it's, can't keep but track. this isn't it takes place in providence where i went to school okay so it's like i kind of knew this history and it's pretty intense. It's really good. It just, it's really, it's re the production quality is really good too. But okay. I just, you can't, if you don't have time to listen to a bunch of them, just put the second one on, the number two episode of Crime Town. It's unfucking real. Like, All right. I'll listen to it. If today. you heard this, if you heard these guys 
these real interviews with real gangsters, if these guys were cast in a movie, you wouldn't buy it. You wow. would think that they were too over the top. It's, okay. It's pretty awesome. I should mention, uh, I actually do another podcast with Emil you Amos. should manage that. It's called Drifter Sympathy. <laughs> We've done about 13 episodes, and this is very exciting. Emil posted this thing yesterday. We got a little write-up in The Wire magazine. Really? Yeah. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like a little a little piece that um, Emil posted um, that says it began as a midlife realization, blah, 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 blah. But um, it's on Feral Audio. And it's all about kind of uh, Emil's kind of – he was writing a book about his guru and he couldn't make the words right. And it's just these childhood stories from Emil. And then we talk about him. And uh, Emil actually just released a new record. Emil releases like a new record every month because he's in like 17 bands. But he <laughs> just released a new record on Temporary Residence, um, same label as United Nations, with his band Grails. And it's awesome. Um, so definitely check out the new Grails record. And yeah, I think – that about covers it, people. Hey, we'll see you next week. So we'll see you next week. And uh, wow, we have some really great podcasts coming up. So you will definitely want to subscribe. So do that now. and We'll see you then. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.